0: This episode of the Die Hard Den podcast is dedicated to my son Curtis III for his 23rd birthday. Happy birthday, dad loves you. Coming up on this edition of the Die Hard Den podcast, Johnny J and I look at the signing of one guard, Joshua Garnett. Then we take a look at some potential hirings of two defensive assistants and we give our review of the Super Bowl. All this and more coming up on this edition of the Die Hard Den podcast. Watch out, here comes that roar. It's Kurt Steele, and welcome to the Die Hard Den Podcast. And as always, I'm with my man, Shawnee J.
1: What's happening, people?
0: Hey, it's good to be back. On the show with my man Shawnee J, and I want to thank the individuals on the Facebook page. We're growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, it's taking a little bit of time to start get to start growing, but we are growing each week, um, and we hit another milestone. And thank you all for liking the page. Um, thank you so much. We appreciate your your um, your supporting us in this venture with the Die Hard Damn podcast. And thank you for all those who listen on a regular basis. And we're going to start the show like we always do. Uh, it's going to be real quick. It is time to tell me something good. And this week I have the luxury of having to only tell me something good. But this week, this week, we have a Darius Lake continues to immerse himself in the Detroit community, uh, continuing to go out to local high school events, um, basketball, football games. Uh, he just attended another basketball game the other day. Like, as soon as he came back from Miami from the Super Bowl, he was right back in the community. Uh, showing his face, doing some good in community involvement. And another thing with Darius Slay, it's been reported that the team is in talks to extend his contract to give him a long-term deal. And I know he has the backing of one Deion Sanders. So Deion Sanders said, Detroit, pay the man. That's the guy you want to have on your team. And that's a big endorsement from a Hall of Famer.
1: Yes, it is. I like um, Slay. I hope he finishes his career here in Detroit. I hope the Lions resign him. We just, you know, they traded away a couple proper players the past couple seasons and Golden Tate. And, of course, Nino, Condre um, um, Diggs, they can't afford to trade away Slay. I hope he stays. He's, he's big and popular. He has a lot of community work here. hope the Lions aren't stupid this time. They'll trade another one. Not just popular, but still very productive players. Correct.
0: Yeah, he is definitely a productive. Coming off his third Pro Bowl. So, outstanding job with Darius Slay. Like. So now it's time to go on the ball with the offense real quick right now. The only really big thing is that the Lions just signed offensive guard Joshua Harnett, former 2016 first-round draft pick that was recently released by the San Francisco 49ers. He was out of football 2019 to 2020. Uh, He's only 25 years old, 6'5", 305, placed at Stanford where he won the Outland Award for Best Interior lineman in 2015. Now here is the twist. He had a serious knee injury in 2017, which led to the 49ers trading for one lincoln thomason so that's the guy who got hurt in san francisco and we traded lincoln thomason out there because of his injury that's an interesting tidbit don't you think so
1: yes i do How ironic you know i was i had a high hopes for lincoln when i was here um he looked out a little lost a little out of you know a little um out of place he got overwhelmed overpowered by guys and he was supposed to be one of the strongest men on the team, one of the hardest working guys in the weight room, but he still got um, overpowered by uh, bigger guys on the defensive line. And now he really goes, like so many t- times, when of the former Lion leads. He defines <laughs> he himself, becomes all poor, solid, professional, playing the Super Bowl, you know. And I thank God Kansas City did win because all those Lions on the 49ers, we never heard the end of it. So I'm glad they won for that reason. <laughs> but we'll talk more about that (laughs) later but um, yeah (laughs) and what clients are trying to do they're trying to you know say hey we gave you our former first-round guy and we're going to see your former first-round guy can have similar success here in Detroit it'd be nice if we could Um, I still want them to re-sign Graham Glasgow and I still have high hopes for my man Bo Bishwazo but Mm -hmm. um, we'll see because this guy Garnett or you know he's had a lot of injuries like you said in his short career that's one of the reasons he was out of football last year but can he get back and? they come back hopefully the Lions did their research worked them out gave them a uh, a thorough physical to make sure you know can go again right I think that this is probably more of a depth signing. I
0: don't think they're really signing him for a starter's role. If he can build himself into that, fine. I don't think that he is going to replace Graham Glasgow or Kenny Wiggins or anyone that's on the team right now. I just think that we needed some depth on the offensive line and especially in the interior. So the Lions made a move and signed uh, Garnett. I really hope, like you said, that they re-sign Graham Glasgow, a a guy who can play any position on the line. That's uh, invaluable. So I believe that hopefully the Lions can make it a executive decision and re-sign Graham Glasgow and keep him in the state of Michigan. Yes. All right. (laughs) Moving on. Defend the den. All right. Now we're going on the defensive side of the ball, and we have a few things to report. First of all, we have the Lions have been linked to former Tennessee Titans linebacker coach Tyrone McKenzie. Now I've had some interactions with some individuals online um, about him. People are saying, oh, he's been hired. Well, there's no official post on the Lions Facebook. I mean, I, excuse me, Lions Facebook, Lions Instagram, the Lions website. Uh, he's linked to Detroit. Does that mean that he's not um, in Detroit or not going to be in Detroit? No. It's just that he hasn't been an officially announced as a coach at, in Detroit or at Allen Park. I will say this, the Tennessee Titans have removed him from their website, so he's no longer in Tennessee. I believe he's going to be in Detroit. I know that these sort of, um, media members aren't just reporting that for just for giggles, but they probably haven't worked out his contract yet or what his role is going to be, so that's why um, he's not on the Lions website, but the, the job he did in Tennessee with the linebackers were pretty good. They had a pretty good defense, and those linebackers weren't very well known. But they played solid, and they had a really good linebacker core in Tennessee. So what
1: do you think about the potential hire of Tyrone McKenzie in Detroit? I like it. When I first posted about him potentially coming to Detroit, a lot of fans on our page, she liked it too. They really liked the idea. Like you said, he worked well with the linebackers. He took some no-name, mediocre linebackers and made him to a good unit. And if he can do the same thing with our current linebackers, like Ty Vey and Jared Davis and, and uh, Christian Jones, Those guys, I'd be very much happy. Hopefully, we can add Isaiah Simmons to make some. Sorry, I still want Simmons over Akuda because, like I said, Simmons can play all over the field. Not just linebacker, not just defense, and he can play some strong safety so I'd love to have um, um, Simmons he's like a, a you know a, a star rover all over the field and both the new defensive coordinator and um, hopefully the new linebacker coach will use him um, he's a wild card on defense he's he's all over the field you have to account for him where he is he's like a like a poor man's Lawrence Taylor if you will you know he's supposed to be that yeah. good yeah we'll see um, right now the Lions are projected are projected still to take Akuda.
0: now we'll say this about mock drafts and the draft experts they're not not always correct. Definitely, I think probably about nine times out of ten, they get the number one pick right. Mm-hmm. But you, anywhere from then on down, it's a whatever the, the best player on the board for that team. And it doesn't work out. It doesn't match up every time. So, but I like Akuda. I know you like Simmons. If we do draft Okuda, there could be a possible new defensive back coach because the Lions are linked to former Patriot cornerback and longtime NFL player Tony Carter has been reportedly hired as a defensive assistant. Again, just like uh, McKenzie, he's linked to the Lions. They've said to be hiring him. This is coming from Phil Yates, uh, NFL insider. Now, one thing about Carter... is that this will be his first time coaching at any level. He he starts in the NFL as a coach, longtime player. What would you think about that hire for a young uh, coach to come in and start coaching defensive backs?
1: He's going to come in and be uh, the man right away, the defensive assistant. He's going to be hired as the actual defensive backs coach, huh? Well, Uh that's the reports. Well, you know, y'all you got to get your first gig somewhere. I know some guys said, well, you got to start at the bottom, like just start off as an assistant or administrative assistant or something like that. Mm hmm. Um, well not necessarily some guys just jump right into the fire um, he's a former defensive back oh, he, he played the position for several years um, he hopefully can work with the guys you know improve them you know like for instance like you said Deion Sanders was rumored to be the next head coach at his own model Florida State no coaching experience he's one of the mm-hmm. greatest players in FSU history and he mm-hmm. would well, be a curiosity draws draw to so sell a few tickets and we, but you know does he you know the X's nose part of it who knows mm-hmm. same thing like when the Wolverine hired Juwan Howard for his first coaching gig. He had no head coaching experience. He, he was a long-time assistant in the NBA, and he's a long-time mm-hmm. player, and, and he was said to be rumored to be in line for the next head coaching job, so guys got to get their first gig somewhere, somehow. There's, there's no direct path. He's a former player, mm-hmm. the Carter. If he can you know, improve the guys with their technique and tell them, you know, turn your damn head around when you see the receiver's eyes getting big and looking for the ball. Don't play like Nevin Lawson. I um, I'm all for
0: that. <laughs> I hear you, my man. Um, the one thing that will help Carter is the fact that the new defensive coordinator is a longtime defensive backs coach. So he has that background as someone who will be his uh boss or supervisor on the staff, who is a longtime defensive back coach to help him in his job. Um, but Along with the inexperience, Corey Unling is a first-time coordinator. You know, he's coached a long time in the league, but however, he's never been a coordinator. He's only been a defensive back coach. Now, I won't say only been, but that is a a big position to coach because of the fact that that is um, a skill position that is of high demand on any team. Uh, You want your secondary to be able to cover. And he did a good job. Even at Philly, uh, look at last year when he had a makeshift defensive backfield because of all the injuries to the corners in Philadelphia. So um, it's a, uh, a going to be a crapshoot. I think that, you know, it's some inexperience back there. Uh, As far as, you know, a first-time defensive assistant and a first-time coordinator, what do you think is uh, going to be key for their success uh, with the inexperience with the coaches back there?
1: They got a... Win and make the players better, coach them up, make them better. Obviously, you know, um, Patricia and Queen are taking a risk by going with some inexperienced um, assistants because this is they're on the hot seat. If they don't win this year, they're both out and everybody's out of a job. So they are taking a risk by hiring these guys. Um, Hopefully, these are the best guys for the job. Hopefully, they can improve the players. Hopefully, they'll win with these guys as um, the assistant coaches. Because like I said, Quinn, and it's not like Quinn and um, Patricia got forever. They got to win this year or else they're out of a job. A lot of fans won on fire last year, but they'll win this year. They're different. Mm-hmm. I would say this uh, about the hires by
0: patricia i think patricia can mold these guys because they're kind of inexperienced and he can make them into the way he wants them to coach because if you look at the guys that were there before these guys some of these guys were already established so it's kind of hard to especially uh pascaloni it's kind of hard to get uh, someone like that out of their comfort zone, they're going to coach the way they coach and they, they see things from one way. And it's kind of hard to change someone, especially was that can. Can't teach your old dog new tricks. Right. So sometimes you can get a coach who's set in their ways and it's hard to get them to change. He's getting them young and inexp you know, so or you at least young young in, young into coaching, so he can kind of help mold them into what he wants
1: his defense to look like. Well, like I said, it's a very important off-season for um for Patricia and the Lions. You know, you gotta get that strict position coach, still get the players big and strong. And you got a coach, mm-hmm. get easy, time, young coach, inexperienced ready in the offseason because this season is no. Change be experimenting like i said his own jobs mm-hmm. line, so he's taking a big risk right. from these inexperienced guys as opposed to guys who had a few years under their belt mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to
0: be interesting just because of the fact that um we're not too far off from, from spring conditioning i mean we're you know we're in that beginning of february you think about it you know a few more weeks a couple weeks we got the combine then you have the draft so then you have, you know, rookies coming in to report uh, for OTAs and, you know, we're only about a month and a half, two months out from those guys reporting in for, for that, um, um what do you call that, the uh, spring OTAs. So it's time to start building that staff, especially the conditioning, because you want to have a solid program in place. You want that person to come in and get a lay of the land at Allen Park. Make any changes they, t- they want to make to the facilities that's going to benefit their program. So uh, I hope Hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that staff Continue to fill out and by leaps and bounds, so everybody could be in place before the OTA start.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, time—you know—in times going by fast. Patricia, is, you know, it's off season, but he's very busy. Got a lot to do and get prepared because, mm-hmm. like I said, this is the twenty twenty season is a big one for him. You know, right. I I would think you want his staff to be in place prior to the
0: combine or the draft, at least by the draft. Yeah, yeah. right. But even by the, I would say by the combine because of you look at the role that the, the coaching staff plays at the combine player interviews, um, work, you know, some private little workout sessions, you know, helping the other coaches actually run the combine. So eh, I would think they would have that stuff in place prior to the combine, which is in at least like another two weeks in the, the end of February.
1: Yes. In the February,
0: <laughs> the end of, end of February is the combine. So yes, um, hopefully, hopefully we can get that stuff uh, filled out by the coaching staff and get that stuff done. All right. So that's Defend the Day and now it is time for your favorite segment in mind two points conversing all right this week two points conversing I'm just gonna ask you some questions and we're gonna talk about this thing what do you think about the Super Bowl uh, as a whole I mean was do you think it was a good game or
1: um it you know it went it took the normal um Routine usually do they kind of start off slow but it gets interesting near the end you know when teams when the times run out, out guys really start getting serious trying to win the game. In the beginning it was kind of slow a little slow um but like I said it heat up in the in the end second half. I'm glad it was a good competitive game to the end. It was some we seen some super bowls or blowouts and they were over almost by halftime. But this one was mm-hmm. interesting to the end. I I enjoyed it. I did and like I said earlier I you know I'm not a big Kansas City fan but I'm glad they mm-hmm. won the sparrows from hearing about all those former Lions on the 49ers who won the Bowl. <laughs> So including Martin Mayhew and, uh, your, and, um, and Tomlinson and Ethnie and Zetto and and a couple more guys. Tease Tabor? Yes. Yeah. Well, Tease Tabor's on their practice squad.
0: He's not on their active roster, but Zetto was in the game. He was still got a ring, he though, gonna... if they would won, right? Yeah, uh, probably so. Yeah, I think they still, practice squad still gets a ring. I think that... Well, I know I saw Zetto on the field and actually got away with the um with the uh what do you call that? Uh roughing the passer because he hit he hit um Patrick Mahomes in the helmet on a play, but the referees didn't see it. But um I did see him on the field. It, you know, I'm, I'm happy for some you know, I'm happy for those guys, you know, to get a chance to play. I wish they could have did it in Detroit. I've never wish any ill will on former Lions or, you know, um I say my ill will for the um I don't want them to get hurt, you know, seriously injured or anything like that, but I save my ill will for the Packers and the Vikings and the Bears, and <laughs> the Patriots and, and the Cowboys. <laughs> You know, I save those for those guys, the ill will for those guys. Um, I know we talked about this uh, a little bit off air. Do you think that the price of the admissions was a reason why there was less than a full stadium in Miami? Uh, We talked about it. There's a lot of seats empty. Well, we talked uh, via messenger during the game and he was like, there's a lot of seats empty Uh, upper deck. Do you think that that was contributed to the, the price of the tickets? You said they were like 5000
1: Yeah, the average ticket price was $5,000. Um, so even for those, the seats I saw, Fox, and the Fox broadcast, they tried their best not to show the empty seats, but they were noticeable, especially in the upper end zone behind the goalposts. Um, and they couldn't help but, you know, show them briefly, but I caught it, and other people in I grew so yeah, they see them too, like I said, the average seat was 5000 even for a nose mm-hmm. seat, cost you a couple hundred dollars or a $1,000 for you know, uh, uh, a cheap seat if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. so and plus Super Bowl's very expensive event, I think they priced some of the people out, it's more corporate, you know, I think it's more corporate, more, you know, it's the average fan cannot afford to go to a Super Bowl anymore, it's for mm-hmm. you know, the wealthy and the corporations who can buy those luxury suites and those um high price seats on 50 yard line, but the average guy like you and I can't afford to get we're price out the stadium. No.
0: but it was I would say that, you know, that crowd in Miami, it's hard for sports teams, just because of Miami and where it is and the, the night nightlife that they have there in um in Miami, that they um like if you looked at a few years ago a few years ago when LeBron and those guys were winning championships down there. Um like it would it would take almost until like halftime to get the stadium filled or if you look at um it's hard for the Miami Marlins to get fans into the stadium well probably because they suck probably. That's stupid, yeah. You know, (laughs) but uh, even when they were winning, it was still kind of hard to uh, get, you know, fans to the stadium. Uh, The Dolphins always play at a, um, you know, there's not a lot of fans at their stadium as well. I think it's just the Miami culture. They don't, there's so much stuff to do down there. And probably so expensive that it is hard for us, you know, sports teams to thrive in that area. Uh, just because I think the colleges do better, yes. uh, University of Miami and some of that like that, because it's not as expensive as some of the pro teams down there.
1: Yeah, as we say, you know, you see the ESPN Thirty for Thirty special about the U, the Miami Hurricane, mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson, and back then when he really was, you know, they were more the old hurricanes of the '80s under Jimmy Johnson mm-hmm. were more popular than the Miami Dolphins. I mean, yeah. they, were, they got in the clubs, they got they got the, all the perks of a pro athlete, I mean, they're more recognizable. The tickets were cheaper than Dolphins tickets, and they got the party retreat like royalty in Miami, those old 1980, mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson era, Miami Hurricanes. That's what I want Jim Harbaugh to turn the Wolverines into, not the, the rough stuff, but you know, to win the championships like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's um definitely a uh, a thing with the Miami
1: area with the Super Bowl.
0: A couple of things I I did like about the NFL All Century team, you know, the, the introduction. You see Barry out on the field, and they out there with those little maroon jackets on. That was a good uh, thing to recognize, the all-century uh, team. That was a good thing. The one commercial that I really liked, it had something in there I didn't like, one thing, but with the kid with fallout out uh, to the referee to start to kick off the game. I like that commercial where they kind of, you know, he's running through and all the historical figures uh, in the league, you know, like he re- pretty much ran through every NFL city to, um, to bring the ball into the stadium for the kickoff. That was a good marketing uh, job by the
1: NFL. Yes, I didn't see all the commercials, but the few I saw, I, I like. Like you see the one with um the, the young man, in the cowboy suit, who's dancing and says "old guy" in a Doritos commercial. I kind of like that commercial.
0: Oh yeah, that's um that was a uh, little Nas X, yeah, old town, old guy. That was a pretty funny commercial. Um, that I, I didn't like the all the political ads. This is the first time that the Super Bowl has really featured uh campaign ads. um, I didn't, I really, really didn't enjoy that at all. And and to some of those people who well, I always say, well, keep politics out of sports. Well, it was, it was front and center at the Super Bowl where you had all these political ads running through the Super Bowl. I didn't I didn't like it at all. Um, and just because of the fact that it was definitely, uh, what do you call that, uh, uh, pointed uh, definitely um, towards a certain demographic. So, uh,
1: but that's neither here nor there. I just didn't enjoy it myself. Right. I didn't care for it either. Yeah. Well, I got to ask uh, you, what about the halftime show? With JLo and I,
0: I like the halftime show, it was very good. I mean, you have to look at those ladies, really performed well. Um, lo is 50 and Shakira is 43.
1: That was her 43rd <laughs> I mean, birthday, birthday, uh, Super Bowl Sunny. Her 43rd, yeah, birthday. I mean,
0: I, I think they did a wonderful job. I mean, and people, oh, they were gyrating. I'm like, they, they would that's their culture, their music is their music. There's a lot of uh, uh what do you call that with the reggaeton. Um, and, the, you know, being bilingual, they brought that kind of Cuban Latin flavor to, which is a big uh, demographic in Miami, t- to the Super Bowl. So I didn't have a problem with the Super Bowl um, halftime show. I mean, some of the people, with this, the same people that's complaining this year, or the same people that was all uh, loving the, with Adam Levine last year, you know, on stage with his, with his shirt off, are the same people that's complaining about Shakira and JLo. Get Over Yourself. It was a good halftime show. Um, it's one of the better ones we had the last couple years. So I think it was very good. Um, I have nothing uh, bad to say about uh, the Super Bowl halftime show. I think they did a wonderful job. J-Lo performed on her daughter. That was pretty yes. good. Yes. That was pretty cool. I was like, look at, look at, look at little J Lo out there singing with her mama. So that was cool, man. I I have no problems with that. You know, it was a good halftime show. <laughs> That's all I can say.
1: She's supposed to be with us, you know. Maybe a little off topic, but she's supposed to be with from um, Alex Rodriguez now.
0: Were they well, they're
1: engaged. Yeah, you think it will work with they're Alex Rodriguez? He's the big, big one of the biggest woman hoppers if there ever was one. Him and Gina. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't know about that stuff, man. But I, hopefully, hopefully it does work with them, and uh, I mean, they've been together for some years now, and they've been engaged for a little bit, so hopefully everything works out with, with those two um, um, with those two individuals. I wish them uh, a happiness in their uh, uh, life together. And last thing I want to really touch about, touch on a two-point conversion, and it's something we talked about, is this weekend is the start of the XFL. Yes. Uh, football isn't going away just yet, you know. Uh, I think if it's me, here's my personal opinion, you can tell me your uh, in a second, I think if they play it right, it could be like the USFL. Before um, someone got their hands on you, the USFL, and really kind of just diminished the product, the USFL was a good league because it gave you that year-round football where they started in the spring, and then by the time their season was over... It was time for the NFL. If it's played right, I think it's the same thing can happen. Um, I think that the XFL, we talked about this uh, uh, off-air, they're taking a different approach this time. It's not a whole bunch of fanfare. Uh, it's not built like wrestling on the football field like it was before. Uh, Vince McMahon is not the front person anymore. Now um, he has a CEO and a president of the organization who's actually running the day to day operations of the league. So I think this is going to be some uh, interesting stuff right here, at the XFL.
1: Plus, he has financial so backing, more money. Because remember last year, that league, the AAFL, whatever it was called, um, uh-huh. it was actually doing pretty good. You get some ratings, some it wasn't sellouts, with was some nice in house. Stadium attendance, mm-hmm. but they, they can last in the middle of the season because of lack providing mm-hmm. financing. one of their chief backers. He, he didn't, didn't come for the money like he was supposed to, but you know, yeah. One thing that and he's terribly, like I said, to, like our webpage, it takes time mm-hmm. to build things up. And with a new sports league, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of money. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Vince man learned his um lessons from 20 years ago what not to do and how to be successful in a right. pro league. Uh, um, let's mm-hmm. let's see if it's any of the products any better. It was more efficient than it was 20 years ago, so I'm, I'm going to give it a look. You know, football fanatics, they was watching the mm-hmm. last year. You know, before they collapse, get the XFL chance. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that um. They have more
0: uh, former NFLers in the XFL than they did previously. Uh, I think another thing is that it's going to be more football-focused, not a lot of uh, crazy rules. Now, there are some different rules in the XFL, uh, uh, one of them being, uh, we talked about this off-air again, uh, they have a double forward pass in the XFL this year, um, which a quarterback can throw a screen pass as long as it's forward, and as long as they're running back or the receiver, whoever catches the ball, is behind the line of scrimmage, he can throw the ball forward again. So, double forward pass is a new uh, wrinkle for that league. And another wrinkle that they have is their play clock is always going to be 25 seconds. So, it's going to be a lot faster paced than the NFL uh, where they, they got to get up to the line and go. Once a play is over, they got to get it to the line and go because they only got 25 seconds in between plays. So, and one thing that might help them out, I think the tickets are around $50 per least what this the CEO was on the uh, NFL Live a couple of days ago, uh, talking about the league and I, I think they believe that the tickets are around fifty dollars a person for the game. So you can you know, you can take your whole family for fifty bucks a game.
1: Uh, still, uh, fifty bucks a, a family of four is two hundred bucks. That's about the same as the NFL game ticket.
0: Well, depends on what stadium you going to and where you're sitting. I think he was talking about that, I'm talking about lower level. is fifty dollars, right? You know, right toward down the field on the field. So I think they're that's their most expensive is uh, like fifty bucks. I don't think they're gonna have like higher price seats like they have in the NFL. You know, fifty dollars get you nosebleed seats in in four field. You know what I'm saying? it's <laughs> <If> that? <laughs> so. You just send them only tickets. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that, you know, they're trying to make it where it's affordable and they're just trying to build the brand. So uh, one way to do that is to definitely start the tickets off lower. So you can get people in the stadium watching the product, and if you can have a good quality product on the field, you can build your league that way. Yes. I hope it can be like the start of the excuse me the USFL, where you had good quality football that was played in the spring, and um, you can have football pretty much year round. I'm a, I'm a good I'm a lifelong football fan, and I would like to have football year round. So we're gonna see. I'm gonna look at it this weekend. I'm gonna take a look at it and see what's going on with the league.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, just don't make the same mistake LeVar Ball made by overcharging hundred dollars to see some high school kids play. You know, <laughs> and it's JBL. Yeah. Um. Um.
0: Yeah. I, I don't. You know. You know. It's not going to be exactly the same as the as the NFL. Uh. But hopefully, they, they have some a, a better product. you know, yes. Than the um the A A F L. Um, we'll see uh, how it's going to go. I think the, the big thing with the USFL is that they were signing players out of college that were high, um, would have been high draft picks in the NFL. You know, you had Jim Keller. Herschel Walker. Um, Harsha Walker. Um, what's my man? Uh, Doug Flutie. So you had some big name players coming out of college going straight into the USFL. Would that happen with the XFL? Time will tell It's you know, will they have the same type of rules and collective bargaining agreement with the players where they can uh, sign because here's the deal. The NFL has the rule that they have to do what three years in college. with, mm-hmm. with the XFL have that same rule Will they follow that same blueprint or will they let, a freshman come in, you know, a guy who played one year in college and and come out and play in the XFL.
1: Wow, it depends um, on if they can last. They stick around for
0: for some time, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depends on how they run their league and um, how it's operated. But hopefully, it's better than it did last time. You know, I don't want to see Jesse Ventura in the in the broadcast booth. I want to see some knowledgeable football guys talking about football and not having a wrestling announcer type the King at lions. the actual game yeah all right that's two points conversion this week when we get back my man Johnny j is gonna have another our prior profile on a lions legendary player the break my man shiny jake who do you have for this week's our pride
1: program? well i don't know if he's exactly legendary as you but he was a pretty <laughs> decent player back in the day he's one of my favorite players um it's a former quarterback and local pride from the field of dearborn divine child Gary Danielson Gary Dangston was born in Detroit, Michigan on September 10, 1951. He's the local kids. I said he went to Dearborn Divine Child. And from there, he went to Purdue University, where he was a long line of former Purdue quarterbacks who played in the NFL. He was the starting quarterback for his last two seasons, and he had had a pretty good career at Purdue. However, he was not drafted in the 1974 draft. Therefore, he started his pro career in the Old World Football League. You remember those guys? He was winning a backup in the World league before they started. they, they folded themselves midway to the 1975 season. For the 1976 season, he was signed by the Detroit Lions as a backup to Greg Landry and Greg Joe Reed. He started a few games in the 1977 season when Greg Landry was benched or for a poor player he was injured. And by midway 1978 season, he had overtaken Landry for the starting Lions quarterback job and just missed the playoffs with them. They were Lions were so impressed with Danielson, they traded away Greg Landry prior to the seventy-nine season to the Baltimore Colts. And they named Danielson the starting quarterback and gave him a hefty raise. But we didn't know what Lions luck. Danielson got hurt, injured his knee in the last preseason game in Baltimore and missed the entire 1979 season. And the Lions went 2 and 14 that year. Gary came back the following year, 1980, to reclaim his starting job. He had a pretty good rookie running back with him to help him out, get on the backfield, give him the, another weapon, another option. Some guy named Sims, who's the top pick in the draft. Yes. He lived uh, not the original number 20, but the middle number 20, because we know the original number 20 was Mr. Lynn Barney. but Sims, the latest, the next number 20, you know, Hall of Fame type player who helped Dangerson out. Gary Dangerson, he held the starting job all 1980, we he had set some Lions pay at the time with the Lions all the time, passing um, yardage for over 3,000 yards, the first Lions quarterback to do that in a single season. Dixon started the next season 1981. He had the first four games. However, he suffered a broken wrist in the game against uh, the world champion Oakland Raiders when the Lions upset them 16-0 at the Pine 7-0. I remember watching that game on NBC Sports. He wouldn't return to the last week of the season, but at that time, another new shift. A new quarterback came in town, a new sensation at the time. Remember, hip, hip, hippo, you know. He was very yeah, excited for the Lions. The, the front of the Lions fans' hearts, and he gets the, the starting job, you know, almost with the Lions to the playoffs. And he would have if Frey if Scott could have caught the damn ball in the final game yeah. against Bay Buccaneers going to ricochet off his shoulder pass for a Buccaneers reception <laughs> that ruined the Lions' chances. <coughs> Excuse me, sir. The following season, Danielson split the strike sort in 1982 season with Hipple with the quarterback position on um, the Lions, made the playoffs with a 4 and 5 record for the first time since 1970. They got in because the playoffs were expanded, the teams were expanded. However, Eric Hipple got the starting nod and a loss at Washington that year. The following year, once again, they split time during the regular season. They some Hipple. Hipple won the final game, the regular season, started. once again against Tampa Bay, giving the Lions their first playoff, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, division title since the World Championship in 1957. However, Eric got hurt in that final game against Tampa Bay, leaving Gary Dangson to be the starter. The following week, the playoff game with San Fran, Danson he had an up and down game that could have won. However, he had to fight through five interceptions in that playoff game. Still, he had a chance to win. If only Andy Merck could have made a, a chip shot field goal, we could advance that year. There's so many near misses for the Lions, Danks. Last season of the Lions was the final in 1984. He said all 16 games. They went 4-11-1 after Billy Sims suffered his career-ending injury. And Monty Clark got fired, and he brought a new head coach, Gerald Rogers. He was traded to the Cleveland Browns, where he finished his career there in 1988. So after, you know, D'Angelo had a pretty good after-football life. He went to radio broadcasting. He helped broadcast some Lions preseason games. He was part of the radio show, The Locker Room of Eli Zero. Garrett and Kirk Gibson, and for the past several years, he's been one of the lead color announcers for SEC football, and so CBS, so Gary Danielson, like so many Lions, he had a better career after football than he did when he was playing for them, but he's one of my favorite guys, you know, growing up, so hats off to former Lion Gary Danielson.
0: All right, good goodbye, my man Gary Danielson, outstanding job as usual. Um, now it is time for Now You Know, this week, we're going to cover offensive blocking rules. So we'll be back right after this. Now you know is brought to you by Foster Camera Solutions. For your home or business security needs call Dan at Foster Camera Solutions for a free estimate at 248-672-8640 with no monthly fees and self-monitoring from your smartphone computer or tablet that foster camera solutions design a security camera system that fits your needs you can also visit their facebook page for more information at facebook.com foster camera solutions remember foster camera solutions when securing your home or business what up, though? This is Kurt Steele, and welcome to this week's edition of Now You Know. This week, we're going to cover Section 12, Player Conduct, Article 2 and 3, Legal Block and Illegal Block by an Offensive Player. We're going to read the rule out of the rule book and break it down for you so you can better understand it when you're watching the games on Sunday. So let's hop to it. Article 2, Legal Block by Offensive Player. An Offensive Player is permitted to block an opponent by contacting him with his head, shoulders, hands, and or outer surface of the forearm or with any other part of his body that is not prohibited by another rule. All right, really quick, break it down. You can use those things, your head, your hands, or an outer part of your forearm to make a block. A blocker may use his arms or open or closed hands to contact an opponent on or outside the opponent's frame, the body of an opponent below the neck that is presented to the blocker, provided that he does not materially restrict him. Now you'll hear this term, materially restrict him throughout these rules. Materially restrict him means grabbing the person by the jersey. The blocker must work immediately to bring his hands inside the opponent's frame. Inside the frame is within the shoulders. As the play develops, the blocker is permitted to work for and maintain his position against an opponent, provided that he does not illegally clip or push from behind. That's pretty self-explanatory. Clipping is when you use your feet or legs to trip someone up and you cannot push someone in the back. But we'll get to the push in the back here in a second. An offensive player is permitted to use his hands or arms to restrict an opponent. One, if he is a runner, a runner may ward off opponents with his hands or arms. So basically a stiff arm. He may also lay his hand on a teammate to push him into an opponent. So you can block a offensive player into a defensive player. But he may not grasp or hold on to a teammate. So you can put your hand and push the person, but you can't grab them by the jersey and sling them into another opponent. Two, during a loose ball that has touched the ground, an offensive player may use his hands or arms legally to block or otherwise push or pull an opponent out of the way in a personal attempt to recover the ball. Now there's specific rules for recovering a fumble pass or kick rules. We're not getting into that on this segment. A player of the kicking team, number three, for blocking restrictions during a kick. So there's also blocking restrictions during a kickoff or a free kick. Let's get into article three. What's an illegal block by offensive player? It is a foul if an offensive blocker thrusts his hands forward above the frame of the opponent, forcibly contacting him on the head, neck, or face no contact in close line play is not a foul unless it is direct and forcible or prolonged so basically you're doing it on purpose or you have your hand in the wrong position longer than necessary the penalty for illegal use of hands by the offense is a loss of 10 yards okay two if an offensive player blocks an opponent from behind in the back above the opponent's waist or uses his hands or arms to push an opponent from behind in a manner that affects his movement, except in close line play. Now, here's another note. The prohibition also applies to a player of a kicking team while the ball is in flight doing a free kick or scrimmage kick. So basically, you can't block a player in the back, definitely, if the ball is in the air on a punt or a kickoff. So the use of hands on the back is not a foul. One, if a player is making a personal attempt to recover a loose ball. Two, the opponent turns away from a blocker when the contact is imminent. So basically if a defensive player is rushing and does a spin move and the offensive player touches his back, that is not a foul. Or three, both of the blockers hands are on the opponent's side. Or if either hand is on one side and one is on the back, it's not a foul. The penalty for illegal block in the back above the waist by the offense is a loss of 10 yards. It is also an illegal block by offensive player if he uses his hands or arms to materially restrict or alter a defender's path or angle of pursuit. It is a foul regardless of whether the blocker's hands are inside or outside of the frame of the defender's body. Material restrictions include, but are not limited to, grabbing or tackling an opponent, hooking, jerking, or twisting, or turning him or pulling him to the ground. Now, like we said earlier, material restrictions is when you grab the person by the jersey. The penalty for holding on the offense is a loss of 10 yards. Here's some blocking notes. When a defensive player is being held by offensive player during the following situations, offensive holding will not be called. One, if the runner is being tackled by another player on the defense. Two, if the runner simultaneously runs out of bounds. Three, if a fair catch is being made simultaneously as the hold. Four, if the action clearly occurs after a forward pass has been thrown, to a receiver beyond a line of scrimmage. Five, if the action occurs away from the point of attack and not within close line play. Six, a free kick results in a touchback, which is a punt. Seven, a scrimmage kick is simultaneously becomes a touchback, which is a kickoff. Eight, if the action is part of a double team block unless the defender splits the double team to get outside of either blocker or is taken to the ground or If it is during a defensive charge, a defensive player uses a rip technique that puts the offensive player in a position that will normally be holding. So basically, if a defensive player uses a rip move and it actually causes offensive holding, holding will not be called. There's one exception. Holding will be called if the defender's feet are taken away from him by the blocker's actions, except if a blocker falls on or pushes the defender to the ground, whose momentum is carrying him to the ground, offensive holding will not be called unless the blocker prevents the defender from rising from the ground. Or if the official has not seen the entire action that sends the defender to the ground, offensive holding will not be called in that situation. So there you have it. What's a legal block and what's an illegal block in the NFL? If you don't know, now you know. Like my man, Biggie Smalls, baby, baby. Now let's get back to the Die Hard Den podcast with my man, Shani J. Okay, we're back from Now You Know. Shawnee J, I will have to uh, apologize to you, my man. You were right last week. Your answer of Leon Hart was correct. I said you were wrong. So you had all five uh, questions on Stump to Sean correct last week. But now we have some new questions for Stump to Sean so this week, we have a fresh batch of five questions to ask you. So let's get at it. In 1951, what Lions Hall of Fame safety became the first player in NFL history to return two punts for a touchdown in the same game?
1: Hmm, that is a tough one. I'm going to say Jimmy Hart, Jimmy David Hart, something like that. Jack Chris. Ooh, gosh. Gotcha. Jack, you Chris. got me there. Jack Christensen,
0: Chris Jack Christensen. Uh oh, uh oh, we stomping the Sean this week. What's the All next right. question? Um, how many lot? How many Heisman Trophy winners have been drafted by the Lions? Right.
1: Drafted by the Lions. Give me a minute, do this particular. Mm-hmm. Two, four, um. Let me see. i to let me name them. I know the Steve Owens, that's one. Billy mm-hmm. Sims is two. Barry Sanders mm-hmm. is three. Andre Ware is four. Um, um they, I think they had somebody behind before that. Um, um Byron Wizard White, he won it. I mean five. Um, mm-hmm. um he said draft play right. the draft the I'm gonna stick with five. Oh uh, no, hell, yeah, man.
0: A little bit behind this week. Ten. <laughs> ten guys. 10 Lions have drafted 10. Um, did oh. you guys remember? Goes back because you, you didn't even mention the guy I we talked about last week. Oh, yes, was a, he was the last last Heisman the Heisman Trophy that was the lineman that was drafted by the Lions? Who are they? All right, I, yeah, I don't have the, I don't have the, it's just so me 10. I got a little uh Detroit trivia uh deck, my yes. hey. well, I got okay. half of them.
1: Okay. Half of them. Yeah, yes.
0: okay, okay. Now you should get this one, guy, right. because this is a little bit. This is probably this is your your uh, age group right here, or a little bit after. Jimmy, before I mean, uh, what Lions wide receiver, who's eighty-five is retired, became the first NFL player to die in a nineteen seventy-one game when he suffered a heart attack? Against the Chicago. Yeah, I got
1: them. Chuck Hughes. Yeah, Chuck Hughes. You got that. One. Yeah, he, he, you know, Ali. Right. I heard he was the first only player to die on the field, which is kind of interesting because back in the day, I think I thought more players got you know killed in the early days of football. That's why we think of the the time. Yeah, but I guess that's his right. official modern uh, day. I guess I don't know.
0: All right. So, in what Hall of Fame linebacker allowed the number fifty six to be used so the Lions could sign Pat Swilling? And that's all I oh, get now Joe Schmidt and there's a lot of controversy over that too you know alright yeah that was right so and here is the last question what Lions defensive tackle is known for his seven sacks of Green Bay quarterback Bart Starr, including one for a safety in the 1962 game known as the Thanksgiving Day match?
1: I remember the game, but the one the guy got seven sacks. is a tough one. I'm going to go Karis, Alex Karis. Uh, right oh, now. close.
0: Man, we stumped the shot.
1: I, I went two two out of that. Two,
0: two for five this week. Hey. That's some good stuff this week. We'll be back next week with some more Alliance trivia to stomp the Sean. Now it is time to announce the winner of the eco-friendly knapsack. Uh, We'll be giving away some, our new giveaway will be announced next week. Um, Dina Marie Simon, please message us at the Die Hard Damn Facebook page to receive instructions on how to claim your prize. Um, so again, Dina Marie Simon, you are the winner of the Lions Eco-Friendly hand woven. Congratulations, Dina. So congratulations. congratulations. Congratulations, Dina. Okay. Now it's time for us to go ahead and get on out of here. So, my man, Sean, tell the people how they can get a hold of you on social media.
1: I can say, go to Facebook for Sean Jennings. Um, the Lions choose Fang with add you. Okay.
0: All right. So for me, you can find me at Instagram and Twitter at Curtis Steel 14 C-U-R-T-I-S-S-T-E-E-L-E 1-4. Uh, you can also find the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Die Hard Den. On Twitter is uh, at DieHardDenPodC1. On Instagram is at Die underscore hard underscore den underscore podcast. And as always, you can email the the show at dieharddenpodcast at gmail.com all right one. Well, thank you again for listening this week uh, we appreciate you listening to our content and we'll be back here next week with a fresh new podcast so we really appreciate the individuals who are reaching out and liking and following the facebook page and i appreciate the individuals in the separate groups that are commenting on the uh, links that we're sharing on those pages as well. To include uh, one, the Detroit Lions uh, diehards and the Detroit Lions truest fan page. Big shout out to those, uh, those two pages and all the other pages out there that we are uh, posting our content on and they are supporting us as a podcast and as a Facebook page so thank you very much and as always this is kurt Steele. and for my man shiny j we are out